Today's scripture is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Alcadema, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, and there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, TCC. It's a joy to be worshiping together this morning. And a lot going on in the life of the church is an exciting, exciting time. Uh, If you need a Bible this morning to follow along uh, with our message, you can just raise your hand and our ushers will grab you a Bible. If you would rather have a paper Bible than your phone, uh, we can get one to you right away. So if anyone would like one, we encourage you to, uh, we encourage us to be using paper Bibles, less distraction and all that. It's it's good stuff. Um, Yeah, looking forward to jumping into this text together. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, as we come here this morning from various situations and circumstances, uh, maybe a busy morning, maybe a relaxing one. Lord, however we, we come into this place, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And Jesus, we ask um, that your spirit meet with us in this time. So Lord, I just invite you to speak through me this morning. God, may your word just uh, bring life to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever had a day where your patience was tested uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was um, waiting. I went to meet a friend for lunch, another pastor friend, and him and I, um, we meet every once in a while, so I'm looking forward to this time. And I get to the restaurant, and I sit down, and he's late, which was a little bit unlike him. And one minute turns to two to five to ten, and I'm sitting there waiting and waiting, and, and uh, he shows up apologetically um, that, um, that he was late. Well, then, of course, our lunch went long, which wasn't too much of a problem, but I had a few errands to run as long as I could make it to where I needed to go quickly. So I get in the car, and I start driving to run my errands, and I hit the white mud, and I hit traffic. 
And so I'm kind of sitting there, I'm like, okay, traffic, that's okay. I'm recalculating my week, I'm, my day. I'm wondering, you know, can I get to where I need to go faster? But eventually I get to the mall, and what I needed to do at the mall was drop off an old iMac computer at the Apple store, and they recycle them for you, if you didn't know that. So I, I thought this, all I'd have to do is walk into the Apple store with my old computer, give it to them, and walk out. But if you've been to the Apple store, that's never how it works. And uh, I had to wait in line to see somebody. And uh, so I'm sitting and waiting and waiting. Finally, I get in to see one of their Apple geniuses. And, uh, and then him and I took a whole bunch of time. And just all this time is passing. And I'm waiting and I'm getting more frustrated. And this leads to some anxiety. And I deal with my anxiety with coffee. So I figure I'm just going to go to the food court and get a Starbucks. So I get to the food court and there's this huge line at Starbucks. So I wait in the line. And I had one more stop. And I needed to, to deposit some cash at the bank. Now, this is easy, right? Automatic teller machine, ATM. So I go in with my cash. I put it into the thing. And sorry, sir, your bills aren't accepted because they're, they're folded too much or whatever. So I have to go and stand in line to, to see a teller. Um, anyway, this day was full of waiting. This day tested my patience. Uh, this day was frustrating. I did not accomplish all that I would have wanted to, and my day felt a little bit lost on me. But when I think about waiting in life, I feel like all of us endure waiting at one point or another. Sometimes the waiting is the simplicity of standing in line at Starbucks or, or waiting in traffic or whatever it is, and we deal with that day in and day out. But there's other types of waiting that we endure in life that um, is almost more unpleasant than traffic or Starbucks lines. For those of you who are graduating high school this year, I, I remember being uh, 18 myself and, and kind of waiting on the Lord. God, what's your purpose for me? What's this next season of life going to hold? As I transition from high school into adulthood, as I turn 18 and get my driver's license and all these things, what is next? And there's this waiting and this anticipation that was building in my life in that season. Wondering about my purpose. There's times in our lives when we're waiting around issues of our employment. And we're wondering, are we going to have enough money to make ends meet? Are we ever going to have a job that we enjoy and love? Um, are we going to get that promotion? Are circumstances going to change? Sometimes we end up waiting in the midst of relationships we find ourselves in. We're waiting and wondering if a relationship is going to work out. Or maybe there's brokenness or offense that's occurred in the context of relationship and we're wondering, will this ever be okay again? For those of you who are parents, perhaps you look at your own children and, and you're waiting for God to do something in their lives. You're waiting for them to come back. You're waiting to be reconciled to them. Our lives are full of seasons of waiting. So what do you do in the waiting? How do you endure that type of time? What do you do when you have no control over when the next thing is actually going to come? What do you do when you're waiting for that next chapter of your life to be written and you feel like there's nothing you can do to make it come any quicker, but you desperately want it to come quicker? Well, friends, we are not the only people in the world who've ever had to wait Right now, as a church, we're in a series called Startup, and we're looking at the life of the early church. And we're asking the question, what can we learn about the church's beginnings? When we look at us gathered in this room today, we recognize that some 2,000 years ago, a group of people gathered. And that group of people were the beginnings of the church. 
And what we experienced week in and week out today in our present is a result of the work that God did in that small group of people 2,000 years ago. And as we enter into a new season as, as a church and a new season as society, I think we rightly look back and ask the questions of what was presence when the church began? And how does what the church did in its early days inform us as individuals and inform us as a community? And I believe that in our text this morning, we see the disciples in a posture of waiting. The disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem. If you are familiar with the story, what's just happened was the disciples had spent three years with Jesus. And after that time, they watched Jesus be horrifically crucified. They were shocked. This was not at all what they expected would, uh, to happen. Following that, the miracle of Jesus' resurrection takes place. Again, the disciples are shocked. Jesus spends 40 days with them on earth. Um, Pastor Norb talked a bit about that last week. And then Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem for the power that will come from on high. Wait for the power to come. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the helper. Wait for the advocate. For the next chapter of the disciples' story to begin, they waited, having absolutely no control over the outcome. And I would suggest that the disciples actually had no idea, really, what it was even going to look like when this helper came. All they really knew was that they needed to wait. So the disciples faced times of waiting. And friends, we face times of waiting. So how do we process having to wait and how do we navigate times of waiting well? Well, I think that what we can learn from the disciples, and I believe what we learn from the whole of Scripture, is that waiting minutes don't have to be wasted minutes. Waiting minutes do not have to be wasted minutes. The reality is, is that we want seasons of waiting in our lives to pass by quickly. We don't want the traffic jams of life. We don't want the Starbucks lines of life, and we certainly don't want the Apple genius guy making us wait longer than we have to. But waiting in our lives come. But is that time wasted time? I think we have to ask, what if times of waiting are not hindering our story, but are rather the times that are shaping and empowering what is to come? What if seasons of waiting are not an interruption to our stories, but the possibility of there being a compelling, uh, but the possibility of them, be, those seasons of waiting becoming a compelling chapter in and of themselves? Now, what I love about what we see in the disciples in this time is that the disciples in this waiting, they pressed in to the basics. They pressed into the basics. And what we see in this, this small church, the beginnings of our church, is these men and women devoting themselves to the same practices that you and I devote ourselves to today. At TCC, we talk a lot about practices. We believe that following Jesus is not simply about us thinking correctly about Jesus. We don't think that following Jesus is the simplicity of having prayed a prayer and accepting salvation. But we believe that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. And that as we live our lives the way that Jesus did, 
As we live our lives engaging in the same practices that Jesus did and that he taught his disciples to live in, that we too will experience uh, the abundance that Jesus came to bring. So we talk a lot about practices. And I've noticed in already in Acts the reoccurring theme of these practices. And we're going to revisit them again this morning because that's where we are in the text. And I see in this uh, four practices that we'll visit uh, this morning. And so let's walk through these and learn from the disciples of how we might do well in our own waiting. Well, the first thing I think I noticed in this text is that during the waiting, the disciples stayed together. They stayed together. We read in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that they all joined together. The disciples did not run away from each other. Luke actually goes through pains to list all of the different disciples who were present. We have multiple lists of the disciples throughout uh, in the Gospels. Uh, the one thing about this one to note is simply that Judas is no longer listed among the disciples. But this group of disciples, instead of running off, instead of separating themselves, instead of isolating themselves, they chose to be present to one another. In verse 15, we read that there are 120 people who are waiting in Jerusalem. They're waiting together. What's interesting about this number is that in Jewish thought, it was 120 people that were required to establish a community with its own council. So in Jewish terms, this group of believers were a body of sufficient size to start a new community. So as much as Luke is just throwing out this number 120, he's pointing to the the fact that this 120 was a good number in terms of their their cultural context. That with 120, uh, they were more reputable because of that. I believe God went before them in that. But when I I think about this, could you imagine if they would have just separated? They said, well, Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem, but who knows how long he'll be? You know, Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem, but... You know, we could make a bit of money on the side, go fishing. Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem, but I don't know. It's hard to wait. Maybe let's take a bit of a vacation before, or or who knows. But no, they didn't do that. Instead, they pressed into community. They stayed together. Max Licato has this great quote. He says that questions can make hermits out of us driving us into hiding, yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with, understanding with mind and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks. Max Licato points to this reality that we are stronger when we are together. We understand more deeply when we are together. I believe that we experience in greater ways the presence of the Lord when we are together. But friends, I believe that our instinct is oftentimes uh, to isolate ourselves in the midst of waiting, isn't it? Our instinct when our seasons aren't exactly how we want them to be. When we're full of doubt and question, oftentimes we want to retreat, to be on our own, to, as Max Licato says, become a bit of a hermit. Imagine if the disciples would have pulled away like that. They didn't. They chose to stay together. 
You know, when I reflect on this, I can't help but think about March of 2020 and the months that followed. When suddenly, because of restrictions and lockdowns, we could not gather as a community the way that we had. And when I think about this idea of staying together, I, I think about how back in, in March and April, May of 2020, I, I realized how much I took for granted the coming together with my friends and family on a week-to-week basis. Man, I missed that. And as a church, as a staff right now, each week as more people are, are coming back to, to be with us in person, and um, as, as we know our online community also continues to grow, there is so much joy But friends, I just want to encourage you in this season, don't forget that only a couple years ago we weren't able to be together. Don't forget that. Don't take for granted the coming together of the believers. When we're together, we worship together. We learn from one another. We share together and we engage in mission together. And I believe that this community provides provides for us perspective and comfort in our waiting. So in seasons of waiting, it is important that we practice community and we come together as the disciples modeled for us. The second thing I see in this text is that during the waiting, the disciples prayed. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What did they do in their waiting? They prayed. The basic, most fundamental, and often overlooked practice that we should engage in is prayer. I remember when I was in uh, Bible school, I had the privilege of, of mentoring and walking alongside a younger student, and I remember talking to him about prayer. And uh, I, you know, we're, we're, I'm asking about his prayer life and asking him um, about how often he prays, and he's going on and on about how important prayer is. It's so important that I pray. It's important that I, I do these things. And, uh, and I remember asking him, well, do you pray? Are you taking time to pray? And his answer was, well, no, not really. I'm like, but you say you understand prayer. Yeah, of course I understand prayer. I just wrote a paper about prayer. But you're not praying. No, I'm not praying. Friends, if if we say we understand prayer, but we're not praying, we don't actually understand prayer. We really don't. If we look at this early church meeting together, they prayed. They devoted themselves to prayer. They turned their attention to God. They brought their waiting and all these questions and this, this anticipation, they brought it before the Lord. But what do we often do in our waiting? Well, I could tell you about that day I was waiting for my friend. I spent a lot of time on my phone. And in preparing for this message, I realized that research published in 2021 found that Americans in their early 20s use their phones an average of 28.5 hours per week. In 2020, in 2020 um, that's the same research found it was 25.9 hours. So we're up three hours approximately in just a matter of a couple of years. And they're pointing at the pandemic as something that has just increased phone usage and phone exposure. Now think about it. That's over a day a week. If there are seven days in the week, a whole day of that for, on average, people in their early 20s are on their phones um, for 28 and a half hours. We love to be distracted. In our waiting, it is so easy to, to pull out our phones and just scroll on social media or look something up on the internet or watch silly videos on YouTube. 
In 2009, uh, pastor and author John Piper um, kind of got known for a tweet that he put out on, on Twitter, which is ironic, you know, know in a second. Um, but he tweeted out that one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last days that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. So many people say, oh, I, don't have, I don't pray, I don't really have time to pray. It's like, well, how much are you on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is? I'm not saying this to, to put out a, a guilt trip or anything. But the idea around here is where are you taking yourself? Where are you putting yourself in times of waiting? In times of waiting and, and in our lives, do we take time to pray? Or are we just too busy distracting ourselves? Friends, the disciples believed and Scripture testifies to the fact that time in prayer is never wasted time. Time in prayer is never wasted time. In prayer, we recognize and experience the God who is with us in our waiting. In prayer, we bring all of our waiting, all that waiting stirs in us. We bring our doubts. We bring our fears. We bring our frustrations. We bring our hopes. We bring our anticipations. We bring all of it before the Lord in prayer. And friends, He answers. He does. As a staff, we've been celebrating the last few weeks all of these answers to prayer. God hears us when we call out to him. He responds. The response might be different than what we think it should be. It might be different than what we want it to be. But God comes to us. He is present to us as we pray to him. So what is your prayer life like? How might your season of waiting push you into deeper prayer and communion with God? We do well to pray. The third thing I see the disciples engaging in is the practice of Scripture. During the waiting, they sought wisdom from God's Word. Now, here in our narrative, we move into kind of some interesting territory. Uh, as the text was read for us, um, we, we begin to deal with this whole issue of Judas and the, the reappointment of a new apostle. And this raises a lot of questions. Why is this section added? Like, why is this important? Why is Luke pointing this out? Uh, we never hear about Matthias again. That's it. So he becomes an apostle, and then that's just silence after that. Why the depressing story about Judas? Because that's a big bummer. Why does Luke even have to go there? Um, and what's up with casting lots? You know, when we talk about trying to discern what God's up to. So I want us to walk through uh, this part of the narrative um, as I talk about the practice of Scripture as well as our next um, our next passage. But what I want us to really get at, and I think what we get for us out of this text this morning, is that the disciples sought to understand their present circumstances in light of Scripture. Okay? The disciples sought to understand their present circumstances in light of Scripture. What is Peter saying? Peter stands up, he says, brothers and sisters, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago um, through David concerning Judas. So just imagine, and, and we go back into Luke chapter 24. Um, in Luke chapter 24, we have Jesus, who he is the resurrected Christ, appearing to, to the disciples. Um, and he's asking questions of the disciples. They don't know it's him about what's going on in Jerusalem. And in verse 25 of chapter 24, if you want to flip there in your Bibles, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what, he, what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. 
So in Luke 24, Jesus is teaching the disciples that all that the scriptures say in the Old Testament, it's all pointing to him. So imagine these disciples who now, who grew up reading the Old Testament, the Torah. Uh, they grew up reading, um, reading the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, are now starting to reread it all with this new lens of starting to understand what all has taken place in the last three years. They're starting to understand more who Jesus is. And they're even starting to understand um, a situation like what happened with Judas in light of Scripture. How do we understand our present circumstances in light of Scripture? That, I believe, is what Peter is up to in this context. And I believe that from this, we understand that we need to seek to understand our present circumstances in light of God's Word. So as the disciples looked to the Psalms and found that they believed the Holy Spirit had um, been speaking through David about Judas, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, Um, So too, we do well to search God's word and to hear from God what he has to say to us about our present circumstances. Whether you're seeking out purpose in life, whether you're concerned about your finances or, or your family, we do well to spend time in prayer and in God's word bringing all of this before God. And and seeking to understand our lives in light of God's scripture. What does Scripture have to say about purpose and finances and family and how we should live our lives? And as we understand it more and begin to live by it, we need to ask, how does Scripture inform our understanding of our own experiences and our own emotions? I remember a time when I was in, again, in Bible college, and, um, you know, I was kind of going through um, not so much a crisis of faith, but I was just full of questions And I remember being so frustrated at God, feeling like he wasn't answering or responding to me in my prayers. And and there was all these things, all these issues stirring in my mind. Um, And I just remember um, praying about this and doing my daily devotions. I was reading through Proverbs and I got to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And this is a very familiar verse um, if you grew up in the church. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding." In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. That's the part that's familiar, but it goes on. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Well, for me, these, these words just illuminated off the page. It was like God was speaking directly to me through this text because I was in the season of my life where I was desperately trying to lean on my own understanding, and it wasn't working. It was producing anxiety. It was producing frustration. All sorts of stuff as I was wrestling through that. And the Lord spoke to me through his word. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God. He will make your path straight. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Whether it's a a situation, a circumstance you're in, emotional stuff you're going through. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek to understand your present circumstances in light of God's word. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. So the the practice of scripture is fundamental. And this naturally leads into the next practice. That during the waiting they chose to be obedient and faithful. So in studying Scripture and coming to understand their, presence, their present situation in light of Scripture, 
Peter comes to this conclusion. And this conclusion is that it is necessary for us to replace Judas. Now he understands this based on what we read in Psalm uh, chapter 109 verse 8. May his days be few. May another take his office. So again, we have to put this in context. So we have um, the, all the believers together practicing community. What are they doing? They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. They're, they're studying the scriptures. And in this context of community and prayer and scripture, they come to understand, hey guys, we need to replace Judas. That is what the Lord is leading us to in, in this context. And so that is what they do. In obedience to their understanding of the Psalms and in light of their discipline of prayer, the disciples pursued obedience to this instruction. Now I need to make a couple of comments on this uh, as we seek to understand the scriptures better. Some people accuse Peter of not waiting. You know, Peter was not supposed to allot a 12th um, apostle because Paul was meant to be the 12th apostle. Um, Now, there's a couple of reasons that that accusation, I don't think, lands very good. Uh, One of those, one of the reasons it doesn't land is that Peter gives the qualifications of what this apostle was supposed to do, doesn't he? Um, In verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, It's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. So here, Matthias and Joseph have been with them since the baptism of Jesus. They just weren't chosen as one of the twelve, but they've been with Jesus his whole ministry according to what we're reading here in Acts. Now, Paul never would have fit that instruction. We call Paul an apostle for different reasons. Um, and so that's one of the reasons where Peter was, was okay. Um, the other argument I would have is that if you're to say that Peter should have waited and not made this decision, I would say, well, in his prayer, was he disobedient? Or in his looking at scripture, was he disobedient? Of course not. Jesus called them to wait, and they engaged in these basic things that, um, that Christ had called them to. The other thing that's really interesting is the significance of the number 12. Now, in, um, again, in, Jewish, in the, the Jewish context, uh, the number 12 represented the full number of the, the people of God. The whole of the people of God. Now, next week when Pastor Norb um, unpacks chapter 2 for us, how does, how does Peter's speech begin in, in chapter 2, verse 14? If you have your Bibles, you can look over there. Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Now, I have always pictured Peter standing all by himself, giving his sermon in Acts chapter 2, um, but Peter's not alone. How many of them are standing before the crowds? Twelve. How did they understand the number 12? It's the full, the full number of the people of God. Uh, these numbers are not here by accident. But by having Matthias take this 12 space, we see the full number of witnesses has been made up. Um, now it's interesting when we go on again as we seek to understand the scriptures well. In Acts chapter 12, uh, James is killed, but he is not replaced. Uh, so... Um, so the, this whole action of this happening um, only happens once and only needs to happen once. Now, um, let's get back to these practices. Within their tradition and their understanding of decision-making... Oh, sorry, let's deal with the casting of lots first. Uh, within the, the tradition and understanding of decision-making, the disciples cast lots between Matthias and Joseph. Um, now, in Proverbs chapter 16, we read this, that the, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
Now, again, here, the disciples working within their understanding of what's going on. Um, and again, another practice common in Judaism. So the question for us this morning is when we're making a choice between two things, should we cast lots? Is that something we should do? Uh, the answer to that question is no, we shouldn't cast lots. Um, now, the reason I say that is that as we continue to read in Acts, they don't cast lots anymore, but they continue to make decisions. What's really interesting about the decisions that they continue to make is that no longer are they casting lots, but now the Holy Spirit has come, and we read that they fast, and they pray, and they seek the Holy Spirit for wisdom and direction in decision-making. We read about this in Acts chapter 13, as well in Acts chapter 15, and I look forward to our message on discernment, when we'll talk about discerning the will of the Lord uh, later in this series, but I won't spend time on that right now. Um, but casting of the lots is not the norm, and we don't see it again. Rather, it is by seeking the Spirit through prayer and fasting that they make decisions. So, where am I going with this? To the best of the disciples' ability, and with the resources available to them, they pursued faithful obedience to God in the midst of their waiting. To the best of their ability, and with the resources available to them, they pursued faithful obedience to God in the midst of their waiting. Friends, if God seems silent to you, God's silence is not an excuse for you to do whatever you want to do or to act in any way that is contrary to God's word. I know that in our, our times of waiting, we can get frustrated and just want to run ahead and do our own thing. We might want to act contrary to God's word and just live life on our own, feeling like maybe God has abandoned us or something like that. But if God seems silent in our waiting, it's not an excuse to keep from living the ways that we already know that God desires us to live. In the midst of our waiting, we do not stop sharing our faith. We do not stop seeking to do good. We do not stop engaging with God and with others. So what were our practices? The early church engaged in the context of their waiting— and kind of at the beginning of the church starting up, they engage in the practice of community, prayer, scripture reading, and obedience or faithfulness. And friends, while we wait, we do well to follow their example. While we wait, we do well to seek out community, to get on our knees in prayer before God, to seek the scriptures, to understand our current circumstances in light of God's word, and to be faithful and obedient to God in the midst of not knowing what's going on. In and out of our of season of waiting, we follow their examples. And again, what I love about this is this picture of the early church. Just this 120 people. And they devoted themselves to these practices. These practices should still be present and active in our context today. So let us learn to see these times of waiting not as an interruption to our stories, but rather as a chapter in and of themselves or as an invitation to prepare well for the chapter that is to come. We should not let our waiting minutes be wasted minutes. Let's pray together. Invite the worship team to come to the platform. Yeah, Father God, we just say that we love you. 
And Lord, we thank you for the picture of the early church that we have here in Acts chapter 1. Lord, a picture of a group of people who are faithful to engage in the basics. Who committed themselves to community. Who got on their knees before you in prayer. Who sought your word to understand their present circumstances. And who chose to be faithful and obedient to that understanding. So Lord, I pray that we would be like them. Lord, may we be faithful to community. May we be faithful in prayer, in the studying of your word, and in obedience. So Lord, may your spirit lead us into that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.